and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 79. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Next Gen's fourth season episodes, The Loss, Data's Day, and The Wounded. Let's go. The Loss, season four, episode 10, production number 184. Original air date, December 31st, 1990. Directed by Chip Chalmers. Story by Hilary J. Bader. Teleplay by Hilary J. Bader, Alan J. Adler, and Vanessa Green. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Kim Braden as Janet Brooks, Mary Conert as Tess Allenby, and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. When sensors detect a strange pattern of images in the enter- Enterprise's path, the crew stops to investigate. Unable to pinpoint the source, they attempt to resume their course to the realization they are being pulled by an unknown force. Worried, Picard calls an emergency staff meeting and asks Troy if she senses a life form. The counselor suddenly realizes her empathic powers have failed completely. It's all right, counselor. Perhaps there's nothing out there to sense. Indeed, there are many races that are not empathically detectable. The Breen, the Varangi. No, the... you don't understand. I don't sense anything. Not out there, not in here. Okay, the loss. Mr. Caesar, why don't you start us off on this one? Oh, the loss. Well, you're not a loss like... for words, are you? <laughs> No, you know what? I I like what they were trying to do in this episode. I don't necessarily have a problem with what they were trying to do, what they were trying to say. But mo- for most of the episode, I thought the whole thing was kind of just forced, to be honest with you. Deanna's, you know, you know, it's, everything happens so quickly, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you've lost this ability. It's time to move on. And it's just everything just seemed really, like I said, I can't, I don't have another way to describe it, just a lot of... It's just forced. For example, like right when she loses her abilities, they're like, you know, well, you may never get them back. It's kind of like, well, why don't you wait a couple of days until you figured what's going out? You know, yeah. it just um, it just didn't really play very well. Um, but I do I do like that what they were trying to do with Troy. You know, they're trying to show that you know if you lose an ability or just for anybody in general, you lose an ability, you have to adapt, you have to do these things. I just um, I don't know, it just didn't play over that well for me in this episode. It's funny you uh, mentioned I, that. Go ahead. Oh, real quick. I actually found myself more interested in the science part of the episode with the creatures and the... With the TV guys? Yeah, the, the anomalies and everything going on than I was the Troy stuff. Um, it's funny you mentioned that scene uh, that there... Because I thought that too, like like this the scene when she's in, Troy's in uh, sick bay and Crusher's checking over and Crusher seems like really pushy with this idea. No, no, no. You may never get better. No, I'm gonna be okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> just like come it just on. happened. You know, Give it's me like a break. It's- yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um but yeah, uh yeah, well, you know, it's it's it definitely, you know, it suffers from that we got to tell of that issue that is frequent you know we have to tell this entire story uh with a beginning a middle and an end in 46 minutes and uh we don't have the time that we really should invest to do this right you know i think if if you were doing this in a modern show uh this would just be one of many storylines taking place over the course of multiple episodes yeah you know what i mean and then they they could they would get more out of it in the long run but they would also be able to take their time with it and it wouldn't she wouldn't go from from i feel fine to screaming at crusher 
the next day, you know. Um, on the other hand, uh, I do like that we get some we get some stuff like that. I mean, how how many times do we have any drama, any real drama between our principal Star Trek characters? And yeah, she's going through something, but it's not like she's possessed by some alien or something, you know. So she's actually how how often do we see one of our principals literally shouting at another like that and stomping off? Um, so that's in a way that's welcome because it's um, you know it's more real to us. Uh, Steve? Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I, th- I think you've already kind of hit on, to me, what the problem is, is that it, it just doesn't work well in the time frame you have. You know, you, you can't, it, it seems it seems contrived if you have to go through all these stages of loss in that time period and make it convincing. Um, I also throw in that uh her patient you know that we see a number of times kind of feels like like a soap opera whenever she's on there for some reason i don't know why um that doesn't help either um and it, it sort of makes it kind of drag it feels like we're it feels like a combination of let's let's rush this thing through the various stages of loss and let's also um we're, we're keeping it what even though you know there is an a and b story of sorts they relate I don't know. It, it the pace feels funny. With all you know what it is? This this it's 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 that Troy is too smart for this in a way. Like she she the opening scenes she's explaining to this to her patient. No, you're going through you're going through denial. You haven't given yourself the chance to whatever. You know, and then like five minutes later, Troy. Yeah. I'm not saying that she should immediately be okay with it. Just using her brain to say, well. No, I'm going through denial, so I'm not going to experience. No, but she should at, at least she's smart enough that I think she could hold herself back from, you know, jumping to all these conclusions so quickly. Right, or maybe, or maybe like t- say, you know what, I'm going to need some time here. I mean, yeah. that just make for a good episode if she just decided I'm going to sit in my quarters for a while. But you know, that that's what probably would, <laughs> would actually <laughs> need to happen. You know, she's like, you know what, I need to take a break here and process yeah. this. You know, but that doesn't make for good television. So yeah, like I her resigning, it it. it Right, it's so over the top that it kind of takes takes yeah, some of the power out of the episode. Yeah, I also noticed like um, I was thinking about how um, Picard handles different people in his crew. You know, um, you know, I think if it were were war for Data, somebody who came in there and resigned, he would basically tell him to shut up and get back to work. <laughs> um, but Deanna, he's he's got a real soft spot for Deanna. He's um he can't like. He, if you notice, he can never really say no to Deanna, and you know she kind of has um, she she kind of has his way with him basically. Um, she's almost like a his favorite in a way. I just I was just kind of thinking about that the inner relationships that um the captain has with with different um crew members and how he resolves their problems and whatnot. But That's an I don't think I don't think um, I don't think that was um one of um Picard's best um moments in there either. Yeah, I mean you get the sense in the scene that that's what he he should say. Mm-hmm. I can't accept this. This is obviously brash and rash, and you need Get to back take to work. a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> well, you need to take a couple days or something. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, some of that's okay. So overall, our first thoughts are, you know, not positive ones, but there are uh, positive things in here. You know, I I do like, I really like the like you like I guess like you were saying, but I, I like what they're going. I like this concept mm-hmm. of. Of Troy going through this, um, I, I like that idea. You know that right. she has always had this ability, and that suddenly she doesn't have it, and that she, you know, I try to imagine 
her looking at, like she says to Riker, um, you're like a projection on a holodeck. You know, I mean, that's an interesting concept that everyone around her was so defined by these, by this sense of emotion that she got from them. Yeah, uh, that she didn't even think about it. I mean, that's that's her life, and that these are the people, and that's part of who they are. It's like it's like looking at them. Uh, without that, they're not the same, you know. And, and mm-hmm. she's yeah. not the same, and that's 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 a very interesting concept, uh, and that's definitely worth exploring. Uh, and they they certainly do that here. It's just some of these other things where they make it feel rushed, um, make it easy to overlook that stuff. And and this is the kind of thing, you know. Again, our podcast, folks, is is with hindsight, um, I don't remember this bothering me in the least, this rapidity, uh, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago. I do not remember that at all. It's only now. Um, well, I, th- I think that I- comes from, from a modernization of television shows. I, you know, like I said, I, mean, I think a lot of things that we see, even some of the good episodes and from Generation, probably wouldn't work today just because, um, you know, the narrative, the narrative of modern television has has changed so much. Like Steve was saying, you know, this storyline probably would have played out like over four or five episodes if it were done today. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be bottled in one episode as it was in the '80s and early '90s, like these episodes were. Well, did you guys? So, did you guys not have this issue twenty years ago? No, I don't think I did either. It didn't bother me then either. I just, I noticed it now. Um, you know. Yeah. And I think the weakness of it was is that they they pretty much locked themselves into the storyline, you know, the A and the B story, you know, because you know you find out at the end, you know, that the the two dimensional creatures were causing her, you know, her loss of senses. So I think I'm I you know that's probably what was the weakness of the whole episode. It locked them into like this time frame that just didn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I I also do not remember. Feeling negatively about some in some of the facets of the episode we spoke of when I originally saw it, um, so a lot of it's it's pacing and and having a broader view of what you know serialized television can be like. You know, like like you said right up from the top. You know, so what if they drag this out? Well, that would be interesting, but that wouldn't happen back then. So they were confined, they were constrained by you know that. So yeah. Well, that brings me to what. What is far and away my largest issue with this episode? I feel like they're they're really trying to say something about people with disabilities, and I'm getting the message as I'm watching it, right? Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't turn around until she gets her powers back, right? right. And that mm-hmm. seems like such a complete cop out. People yeah. with disabilities everywhere, and you know, and, and this is the writing that I'm knocking here, but it just seems like, like I, I'm shocked that you know, like in my research, my prep for this episode to discover, like, um, Siri is talking about all the people with disabilities that have come up to her over the years and referenced this episode. I'm like, how is this not offensive to them? Because it's mm-hmm. not like at the end of the day they get to turn around and suddenly they, I don't know. They 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 have they use of their eyes again. again, yeah, or their legs or whatever, you know. And they're just, they're just saying that the only reason that Troy, like at, at the end of the episode, she's like, "Well, I have some insight now into what it's like to not have that ability." Okay, well, that's a completely different um, animal than than what we were talking about during the episode, mm-hmm. which is the difference. But which is saying humans that don't have this ability, you know, people with the, 
they are valuable. And I'm going through the episode saying these people are not valuable. These people are inferior because they don't have this ability. You know? And then at the end of the episode, I get that ability back. And now I can say, well, I, now I, I have insight into what it's like to mm-hmm. – well, you, you never took away that part. You never said – you never said there is value in me as a person not having that ability. I'm still va- I'm st- I still have worth. And I feel like they copped out completely, completely. And it, and it's, it really upset me in a, in, a, in, a, in a way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, because they bottled this. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bottled episode. There's nothing we're going to see about this going on in in the Star well, Trek they timeline. They could have done it all within this one episode if they had just, if she had gotten, reached completely, reached these conclusions, you know, before she got her powers back, right? Because mm-hmm. she really doesn't. Yeah, she helped Data with this science problem, but it's still not, you know. Yeah, we, we get a we little. She, she we don't get a, a scene where she says... Um, you get a little bit. You get a tiny little bit of that with her scene with Guinan, but not really. She's not really... You can tell that she's really not truly feeling it there with Guinan when you yeah. know, have that conversation. I mean, it's it, yeah, this episode is funny to me. I don't just... Cause but it's not like great- after that scene with Guinan, she goes to Picard and says, I don't want to quit or I, 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 can, I can overcome this. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that would have been better. Yeah. Well, yeah, this episode's weird because there's a lot of scenes in it that I like. I like the scene with her and Guinan. The the scenes with um, her and um, Riker were pretty good. Um, yeah, in her quarters when Riker comes to see her, that stuff's good. Yeah, both times, you know, both, you know, they're they're emotional. Um, but yeah, it just um, like I said, I, I just it just all kind of feels forced. I think the one interesting thing I find about it is not really having to do with. Um, overcoming a disability, but is the notion that kind of that Riker brought up in their conversation about, you know, feeling like you're one up on somebody, then losing that notion. I mean, really, in a way, anybody can relate to this in some facet because we all encounter, we're all in situations where we encounter others and we have something that they that they don't and how does that make us feel and what if we didn't have whatever advantage it was, whether it's you, uh, you're at work and you're already a member of an organization or talking to a rookie at the organization or you um or you're 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 bigger and taller or younger or whatever than anyone you're talking about and then that was taken away that that made me think a little bit about how often do do the things that give us a leg up define how we treat people and how we you know relate to others uh, in, in any number of situations and we don't even really realize it i mean that that kind of i thought that was kind of interesting yeah that makes oh, sense Remember the episode with the um, the other bit is Zoe, the guy who's yeah. using his powers secretly uh, in in the um, in his negotiations. Yeah, you know, and there we see an example of someone that that you know clearly did think he was superior. I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and where that, that's where the slippery slope is because now you start getting into. Well, I guess racism isn't the exact right word when it's a different species, but you know, you know we start getting into that. Um, and when this episode dipped into that direction and never gave me, and never gave me the response of, well, of course that's not, of course that's wrong. Uh, that's when it, that's when it crossed mm-hmm. the line for yeah. me, and I I felt like it needed to be more clear. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so we we 
we're kind of getting into what it's about there, yeah? Yeah, I think we've been talking about that for the last couple of minutes so far. <clears throat> I mean, I think I think what what they touch on and they they do kind of successfully is the notion of like the title says it's it's dealing with loss whenever you lose something and how you react to it and going through those steps. But that is that's just a process that that any uh, textbook can tell us how that goes. You know, I think they do that fine. But if you talk about, um, you know, how do we how do we you know if if one becomes uh, disabled in some respect and how others relate to you and what's the message there as as we've already gone through it, you know it came up short in that regard i kind of like seeing uh, troy and crusher argue <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of fun <laughs> well no, yeah you brought that up well uh, besides the obvious what you're talking about but yeah there it is interesting to see the tension between the crew and this. Yeah, because we don't get that. We don't get like the, we we just said we like those scenes with Riker and Troy in Troy's quarters because um, we don't get that, you know. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. yeah. And Riker got shot down at the end of this episode. Yeah, a rare uh, attack for Mister Riker. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I feel like we've covered it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they did this story at some point. It needed to be done, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy loses her powers, um, but uh, it's uh, it's an example of an episode that I think is losing its luster as the years go on, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but still, some good scenes in here, and definitely some great performances. And we do like Marina; she never gets to act on this show. It seems like yeah. So here's mm-hmm. a good example where they gave her some stuff to work with, and she did it. You know, she mm-hmm. pulled it off. So yeah. she she the girl can act. They just they just don't know what to do with yeah. her most of the time. All right, moving on to Six Degrees for the Loss. Uh, Adam? Yes. Kim Braden plays Ensign Janet Brooks, the woman that Troy helps get over the loss of her husband. She also played Elise Picard, Jean-Luc's wife in which Star Trek feature? Would that be First Contact? No, sir. No, I know. <laughs> oh, what am I thinking? Uh, Got to make a note here to beep your S <laughs> uh, Generations. That's correct. Uh, like complete, you knew uh, that one, though, right? This was yeah. easy. I'm not giving uh, you the point or anything. No, no, no. It's fine. I completely whiffed. <laughs> uh, Steve, Generations was directed by Braden's husband. I did not know that she was married to him uh, until my research. Uh, can you name the man? Okay. Um, let me think. He's the only. <laughs> he's the only difficult one to remember. Sometimes. Is oh, it's on tip of my tongue. D- David Carson. You are correct. David Carson also directed uh, uh, DS9's pilot emissary. Ah, uh, yes. All right, two nothing. Moving on. Data's Day, Season 4, Episode 11, Production Number 185, Original Air Date, January 7th, 1991, Directed by Robert Weimer, Story by Harold Apter, Teleplay by Harold Apter and Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Colomini as Miles O'Brien, Sierra Pichur as Tapel and Seelock, Alan Scarf as Mindak, Shelley Desai as Vassal, and April Grace as Transporter Technician. 
Data is attempting to give Commander Maxwell, a cybernetic scientist, a narrative information about his daily interactions with crew and friends and how he deals with emotional responses with them. Data begins his narrative with his friend Keiko's upcoming wedding to Chief O'Brien, where many emotions he doesn't feel or understand will be in full display. Data can only use his experiences and logic to deduct how to deal with each emotional response. My friend Chief O'Brien often says that above all else, he wants to make Keiko happy. Since canceling the wedding will make her happy, I must conclude that Chief will be pleased at her decision. I have good news. Oh? Keiko has made a decision designed to increase her happiness. She has canceled the wedding. She what? Data's day. I adore this episode. I love this episode so much. I really, really, really love this episode. Longtime listeners of our show may recall me on multiple occasions talking about I love the mundane stuff. And I know mm-hmm. both Steve, both you and Caesar, you guys have both kind of we've talked about that sort of thing too. Like there's part there's a part of you, of me as a Star Trek fan, you know. My favorite thing about next gen is is, the, is is imagining just being on that ship every day, you know, living with that that hum on the bridge and just the normal ordinary life and and that fantasy of what that what that could be like, you know. And I love the normal stuff. Some of my favorite episodes of DS Nine were ones that were they're just hanging out on the promenade. Not a lot happens, you know. And here, this may be the only episode in all of Star Trek's seven hundred plus episodic history. Where the entire episode is pretty much just that. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just a day in the life. And I love it. Mm. I love it. I think my, I, like, I get goosebumps whenever Data is talking about here's all the mundane crap that's going mm-hmm. on today. Right. Promotions, a bird, two birthdays, <laughs> two ch- whatever it is. I love that. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's so dumb, but I love it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's also it a, a rarity to I don't I mean there's probably another episode like this somewhere, but this whole notion of it being entirely from the perspective of one person. There's an, yeah, you know, it's all from his perspective. He's in every scene. It, we only know what he knows. We there's no omniscient narrator or whatever, you know, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, well that's for example, you really see that with that little bitty you know, they, they, I did, I, you can't tell they felt like, well, we got to get in one like normal little Star Trek storyline. So the bit with the Romulan, the Vulcans, um, you know, you, you see that it's, and it's fun to actually see it from that kind of isolated point of, mm-hmm. point of view. You know, we see mm-hmm. her go in there in, into Picard's uh, ready room and we don't know what they're talking about. We just get in there and hear a couple of lines just while Data's there or when she calls him into her quarters and asks him a couple of questions and he leaves. You know, so we really, just like you're saying, we just get his point of view on the kind of things we normally would get everything. Yeah. And it makes it kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Adam? Um, yeah, I. this is this is one of my favorite episodes because there's some, there's literally something for everybody in this episode. There's comedy, there's drama, there's intrigue, there's Romulans and Vulcans, and it's all a flow. You know, you know, you were talking about mundane, and, and there are a lot of mundane things going on in this episode, but it's all woven together because it's actually a, a fairly complicated. I would think writing this and putting this together would be kind of fairly complicated. Because it's kind of the trick, you know, make something complicated look simple. And they have so many things going on in here, and yet it, you don't feel like something drags or 
they went too far this way or too far that way. It flows really nicely, and you get um, a nice harmonious flow through the whole episode. And um, yeah, it's literally. It's, I think I had it in one of our one of our top ten lists, and I I would still put it there just because it's just it's 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 really good. Well, I mean, this is the epitome of. Flipping channels on TV. If you see this episode, you just watch it. I don't care <laughs> how many times I've seen it. I have a lot of the lines memorized. Um, I can, I can, and and I, and I can still watch it anytime, start to finish. That's my point. I can hear like like the rhythm. I I I know some of the lines so well that I hear their rhythms and not the words anymore. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what, Data? You do have a lot to offer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. It's uh, yeah. I love this episode. So well, good, at least not good. Good news, Chief. <laughs> I have yeah. good news. Okay, go ahead. Cancel the win. It is pretty funny. Um, hmm. Dude, we a- go to the barber shop in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although I always think of Mott, but I guess this actually wasn't Mott. Mott. This was not Mott the barber. This was some other barber. Different Bolian barber. Yeah, this was a an alternate Bolian uh, barber. We go to now. This is a weird thing when he he goes to see Worf in the gift room replicate <laughs> gift replication room what what is that you can't i mean a special replicator you know just to do this kind of thing or what yeah <laughs> what <laughs> um but i love it <laughs> yeah, you think you could do that from your quarters you know we well i don't do we ever also is there any part of you that's like if i was getting a gift it was just, I mean, anybody could walk in there and ask for that to be replicated. It's not very special, is it? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here, I agonized over a <laughs> replication screen for 10 seconds. All for you. Here you go. Um, anyway. This is the first time we see Keiko, right? This is the first appearance of Keiko. And, this, and it's tricky. Yeah, it's it's, it's tricky because the way they introduce her, the way they introduce her, it's like she's been here all along. You know, mm-hmm. they do it very skillfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind well, of right. in hind- in hindsight, you know, with all you know, you watch all of DS Nine and everything, you know. So it's kind of fun to see the very first time we see Keiko, see these characters. So it's kind of a tr- that uh, that's another bonus with this episode. It's kind of a just a little treat. You know, it's it's always fun to see the first time a character is introduced that is has long standing in Star Trek lore. Well, also, by one episode, this is kind of the first time that Miles is kind of featured, you know? Mm-hmm. He's not just the guy uh, in the transport. Of course, on the next one, he's really going to be prominent for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And if there was any doubt, you know, that he would be fine as a regular on the show, it's it's going to be eliminated in the next episode we're about to talk about. Yeah. But this is the first one where, you know, he's got a kind of significant storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, he's important in this episode. Yeah, he's getting married, kind of. Um, of all the days, first time we get to see O'Brien throw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I even kind of like the um, the dancing sequence. Um, uh, which, Gates McFadden, of course, was a was better known as a choreographer than an actress before she started Next Gen. So she choreograph- choreographed all that stuff herself. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that's all them dancing except for the overhead shots. Yeah. I think. I think. There is one front shot where, shot from the front where uh, Data's got his head turned kind of and they go ahead and they get away with 
not him doing it. They're just just one time, but it's a little bit of a distance. Yeah, there's definitely who, who's that guy moment, you know? Yeah, but it's still her standing next to him. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but that, that scene makes me laugh. Uh, look up data, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, it kind of goes without saying uh, how. You know, it's a tour de force for Brent Spiner, really, because since he's never seen two, he just—he's he, just incredible his data. You know, you see all these, all go through all these different things, and the the emotion that you can't really show in the traditional way people show emotion. It's it's interesting. Yeah, well, look at that scene. Um, it's a good thing I don't get nervous, or I get nervous, you know. <laughs> and and he's like, you can see his little finger on the the. the he's twitching uh, his hand. Yeah, you know. It's good. I mean, the music helps a lot too. It really defines some of those things, mm-hmm. um, and so the music is 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 a very effective. Um, For some it, reason, also, and I think I think it's it's probably fairly obvious that one of his inspirations for some of the, the character is uh, Buster Keaton. And for some reason in this episode, maybe because I see so much data, I really see that. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. the facial expression too, but it's it's the behaviors and everything. It's, it's interesting. Well, his his smile when he's dancing is reminds me of that stuff. Um, and then you kind of you get some seriousness towards the end. You know, we kind of touched on it with the Rama. You know, that plot line with the Rama. You know, Picard really gets um. They all get one pulled over on him by this um, mm-hmm. Vulcan ambassador. That's um. Yeah, I enjoyed that storyline too. You know, them kind of getting you know getting had. You know, the Romulans pulled one on him and got away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's true. That's we don't see that kind of thing, and they can do it because it's a, because it's sort of a B storyline, so it's not it doesn't it doesn't sting as much. <laughs> um, yeah, <clears throat> hmm. I like uh, you know we get those little moments at the tail there uh, when he's talking to Maddox, and there's a nice callbacks too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's it's uh, uh, what's his name. That he's writing all this letter to uh, from uh, Measure of Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he says, you know, if being human is a way of thinking, then, you know, I'm hopeful that someday I can discover my own uh, humanity. And that's, that's kind of the thing that we've talked about a lot is that how do you define emotion? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you define that if that's the difference between everybody else on the ship and data? Um, you know, if, if emotion can be defined through thought, uh, then data, you know, obviously has it in spades. So it, it's it's just nice to hear him say that. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a common thread between the last episode, which the loss, and this one. You know, kind of human emotion, instincts, guts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and how data. You know, we you know we go through this whole process as long as data is a character on Star Trek about his growth learning to understand these things is a different process than, you know, you, me, or anybody else that's human being. He's having to learn these things a different way than any other human being learns them. And so that's the interesting journey that we take with data, and it's, it's a fascinating one. Uh, oh, a uh, bit non-sequitur, but the other thing I have to mention, talking about all the ordinary stuff that I love, mm-hmm. oh my God, do I love <laughs> opening up with the darkened bridge <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 like the night, the night watch, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Riker comes in, and there's that 
formality of I'm taking over, I have the bridge or whatever, you know, and the lights come up, you know, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of little thing that you would never have time for or never do in an episode, yeah. except for one that's just a day in the life like this is. And that's, that's, that's that fantasy. That's that fantasy trekker as opposed to trekkie in me you know that, that wants to go on this journey and live on that ship i'm like well yeah that's what they i mean obvious obviously it's not like they shut down the bridge and go to not go to bed yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah so it's um, fun to get to see that because their schedules they each person works different shifts night shifts yeah yeah little things that you don't think about i mean because we see up they're always it's always the main crew on the bridge yeah yeah, we we most of the episodes we watch of this show must take place between nine a.m. and five p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Ship time, uh, but yeah, we get to see that uh, that two a.m. crew. That's great. Uh, yeah, about about midway through the episode, I'm like, God, Data's getting a whole lot done during the day, but then I realized, oh, he doesn't sleep, so yeah, <laughs> that's a lot more. Yeah, Ron, they uh, Harold, what's his name? I uh, Guy that co-wrote this with Ron Moore, Apter. What's his name? Harold Apter. Apter. Uh, Apter actually came up with the story. He proposed this story, a day in the life concept, I think, in the previous season, season three, but they weren't sure who they were going to follow. Michael Pillar. I don't remember. Some, somebody said they even considered. They even considered the ship somehow. I don't know how that would have worked. But uh, at one point, Ron Moore. They asked Ron Moore why they decided data, and he said, "Well, he's the only guy that's up for twenty-four hours." <laughs> so, uh, what's it about, guys? It's we talked about some of this humanity stuff. I'm not sure it's exactly about that. I don't know. Well, there's a lot of different facets. I think that's part of it. You know, data's journey into becoming human and what humanity is. I think that's certainly part of this episode. But I also kind of think it's what you what you spoke a lot about, Brian. Is just like. Just the run-of-the-mill, everyday kind of things that in life that we kind of take for take for granted that actually do have meaning and purpose, and you know they try to show this in this episode. Well, you know, it's interesting that a day in the life here, a day in the life of data is not um, sitting there typing on a computer. Uh, it's not in his quarters, uh, you know, listening to music, or whatever. It's a day in data's life. Uh, is an examination of his relationship with other people, his friends. He does say that at the start of the episode in his letter to Maddox. You know, we, I'm going to particularly focus on that, but um, the, the, it's interesting that that's, that's what it finds. Obviously, that's interesting for us to watch, but, you know, that is, that is humanity to data. That is life to data. You know. Steve? Yeah, I'll buy that. I initially had trouble you know, coalescing the notion of what this is about into, into one thing. But I, I guess that, that would be it, is that you, you look at what is apparently the mundane and essentially you have to come to the conclusion that, that most of life is are these things. But it's, the important thing, is, as we've said, is that it's, it's our relationships with others and, and those, those goings on that we, that we often dismiss and take for granted as not important, but really that's, that's really the, the meat of what life is mostly about. All right, well, episode that I just adore. It sounds like we all love this one. I mean, I really, really love this episode. And it was a blast. Watch it. Let's move on to Six Degrees for Data's Day. Steve? Yes. Alan Scarfy plays Admiral Mendak, Mendak, the Romulan commander that gets Picard's bear. 
or something like that. <laughs> in Next Gen's sixth season, he plays the Romulan Tokat in charge of the prison camp with Klingon survivors of the Kitamar massacre. Uh, Name this two-part episode. Oh, yes. Wow, okay. For some reason, I'm blanking. I know exactly what you're talking about. He was really only in the second part, I think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking on it. Sorry. Adam? Um, I remember the episodes, too. Um, um, Sons of the Father? Birthright. Oh, Birthright. yes, yes. Adam, in Voyager's second season in the episode Resistance, he played Augurus the leader of an oppressive government organization that holds Torres and Tuvok captive. Uh, which member of Voyager's crew enlists the aid of a crazy resistance member to find them? Um, that'd be Neelix? No. Steve? Mm, who's being held captive again? Torres and Tuvok, and this is a very early episode of Voyager. Uh, process of elimination, man. <laughs> yeah. So it's No, it was Janeway. Uh, it's yeah. the one where she's she's like in his little apartment or something, and he's all nutty for most of the episode. Okay. Ooh, you know? Okay. He's, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, so we is that still two nothing? Moving on. Yep. The Wounded, Season 4, Episode 12, Production Number 186, Original Air Date, January 28, 1991, Directed by Chip Chalmers, Story by Stuart Charno, Sarah Charno, and Cy Chermack, Teleplay by Jerry Taylor, Music composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest cast include Bob Gunton as Captain Benjamin Maxwell, Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Mark Alamo as Golmaset, Colomini as Miles O'Brien, Marco Rodriguez as Tell, Time Winters as Darrow, and John Hancock as Admiral Hayden. After a Cardassian warship fires on the Enterprise, the ship's captain informs Picard that he is acting in retaliation against a Federation starship that has recently destroyed an unarmed Cardassian space station. This is unusual because there is now a treaty between the Federation and the Cardassians, who were once bitter enemies. As a goodwill gesture, Picard invites the Cardassian captain aboard to aid in the search for the renegade USS Phoenix, commanded by Captain Benjamin Maxwell. I'd never killed anything before. When I was a kid, I'd, I'd worry about swatting a mosquito. It's not you I hate, Cardassian. I hate what I became. Because of you. All right. The Wounded. First appearance of the Cardies, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much see from day one that uh, Miles doesn't like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, he doesn't... It's realistic, you know, that he... I mean, he doesn't come completely around or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see that all through DS9 as far as... He's always going to have kind of an embedded distrust and it kind of reminds me of like of Kirk you know um, like Star Trek 6 you know he's always going to have that distrust of the Klingons and, yeah. and it's almost this this understanding that he can he can he can recognize that it's there and that it's not going to really go anywhere and maybe he can outthink it 
and stuff, but it's in a way the lasting piece is going to have to come from the next generation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, but anyway, um, I did find it was a little weird. He went back and forth, you know, he had that little incident in the, well, not little, he had that incident in the turbo lift. And then the next scene, he's, you know, having dinner with Keiko and he's like, Oh, I don't, know, I don't mind Cardi's. They're fine. You know, Cardassians or whatever, you well, know, in that way, I thought that's what I thought was realistic about it was because I don't think, you know, you don't think maybe he's quite conscious well, of it. There's no easier way to tell that someone's a racist than when they start their sentence with, I'm not a racist. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Like, you don't even have to finish your sentence. I know it's going to be a racist statement, you know? Right. Um, so my point is that racist people, um, even if they have a perfectly, you know, like, I, I, I think it's reasonable to say, it's reasonable that O'Brien has this distrust, you know, when mm-hmm. he tells you his background, regardless of whether or not it's reasonable. People that are racist or that that feel this way or that have these kind of instinctive responses never think they are. Yeah. You know, if you asked O'Brien uh, if he was prejudiced against the Cardassians, he would say, "I'm not prejudiced against the Cardies." <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> like, well, that that insults people when you say that. You know? Yeah. Oh, what what? You know? So that's why that scene makes sense to me that he that he reacted the way he did on the triple lift, and then when he's speaking with Keiko, he's like, "No, I I like them fine. They're fine." So it's the same thing with um with uh, Picard. It's not until that scene uh, in Ten Forward when he kind of owns up to it a little bit. But even then, it's not like it's not like. Oh, I see the error of my ways, and everything's fine now. No, not at all, and and, and it shouldn't be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a way, I think it's 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 honest and fair. Mm-hmm. I found this I found this episode very well written. I mean, I felt very I believed everything, you know. I mean, nothing, you know. It, there's a lot of big big themes here, and a lot of stuff going on in different characters, but um, I never. It always felt very genuine to me. The language. Is so Jerry Taylor? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's a you know she's a good writer. She's one of the few, uh, uh, the writers that actually wrote books and things too. Mm-hmm. So there was um this is me nitpicking. There's only one one thing that I kind of had a problem with in this episode towards the end when um. Maxwell comes aboard the Enterprise and him and Picard have this discussion. To me, it seemed kind of, I guess it's just to move the story along, but it seemed kind of ridiculous that Picard would actually let him go back to a ship and captain it after attacking a starbase <laughs> and destroying two other ships without provocation. I was like, why is he letting him? I mean, it's like I said, it, 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 he had to let him go back so they could finish the, the plot of the whole episode. But it, to me, that those are little nitpicky things. And I'm like, why would they even let him go back to his ship? Yeah, I can see, I can see that. I mean, as Picard <clears throat> says to him, you've killed 700 people and taken us to the brink of war. I mean, that sounds like a really big deal. Yeah, yeah it sounds like he should murdered, be in the brig. <laughs> you murdered 700 people, uh, and you apparently don't have a good reason. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's, like, um, that's like a war criminal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like... No, you're never getting out of jail for that. God, of course not. Uh, and it's so, kind of yeah, yeah. But it's not a bigger deal. As what. And it's kind of outside the scope of the episode, so I know why it's this way. But it's very that that ship is kind of like he equals the ship. You know, I mean, when we see him on the view screen, it's just yeah. him. There's no one else on the ship. All these people will blindly do anything he says. You know, obviously. So it's yeah, it's kind of yeah. bizarre. Yeah, you literally never see another crew member, even when Miles goes over there. Uh, he's not on his bridge. He's like in his quarters or, yeah. or his ready room, I should say. 
um, and my and Miles walks in. So yeah, I'm sure that's just a money thing, but yeah, you know, this episode did have. Well, I mean, we didn't we didn't see those battles. We just saw it on on the view screen. We've talked about. It. I think we all kind of like that sometimes. Yeah, especially whenever. Yeah, I mean, we saw that on DS9 a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in a similar episode, when um, was it? Thomas Riker took the Defiant. Didn't they? They used that kind of stuff for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know this this whole episode has that kind of that feel. Darkness. Well, the, like the heart of darkness, apocalypse now kind of thing. You know, like mm-hmm. Star Trek's version of that. Um, well, I think one thing it helps a lot is uh, oh crap, what's his name? Benton. I don't remember the 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 actor that plays Maxwell is very good, and it, and it's um Bob Gunton, Gunton. right? Bob Gunton. That's great. Yeah, I mean he's a big character actor. He's seen in lots mm-hmm. of movies and things. Yeah. Um, I always remember. That? I remember from Shawshank. That's where I Shawshank. Yeah, that's probably oh, yes. what he's best known for yeah. movie wise. I always remember he played the jerk in um, Patch Adams. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why well, that, well, that movie well, is good- not worth remembering, but. He was such an effective jerk in that. Well, he's an effective jerk. Anything he plays, um, I think somebody said that Bob Gunton is one of those. He graduated from um, school of acting. <laughs> oh, so. crap. Here's another beat I got to put in. <laughs> Seven minutes and a half. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, he plays kind of an a-hole in all of his roles, and he's very good at it. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that's a big deal when he, you know, when he can stand right up there with Patrick Stewart in that conversation. I mean, when they're going at it, you know, and, you know, it's, 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 it's engaging, you know, their conversation. Yeah, how much fun would that have been to, like, shoot or watch them play? I, thought, I was thinking of that when I was watching it. Uh, of course, this is the first time that we see the Cardassians, but that we see, you know, who playing a Cardassian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, even though it's not the same Cardassian he's going to become famous for. Mm-hmm. I like I like his little mutt chops. Yeah, I'll never do that again for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the costumes, that, that weird padded, yeah. almost like a strange... Or that, the, the little helmet thing that they yeah. never yeah. wear again, those three-piece thingies. Yeah. They look kind of dumb. But you know what? Yeah, that stuff is, is silly, but uh, for the most part, it's amazing... Uh, how much they create the Cardassians out of thin air. And finally, after over four years here, finally we have a good, solid, modern villain. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to keep going back to the Klingons from the original series. The Ferengi didn't work out. The Borg are just too darn powerful. Mm-hmm. You can't bring them. They, they kick our butts every time they're on screen. Uh, but Cardassians were just right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um of course, they're going to become incredibly prominent on DS9 because they are such perfect villains. Um, I think they also, they obviously took the tack of um, talking a lot about a major character before revealing him. I mean, we've got to be like a third of the way through the episode before we see Benjamin Maxwell, and I think that's yeah. effective. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting structure. Um, but I guess more than anything, what we get from this episode is Columnini for the next decade. Yeah, yeah. You know, because if, if if he hadn't been so effective in this episode, this was the chance. You know, this was a chance, and he and he, and he hit a home run. So mm-hmm. that's it. You know, he can really do it. Let's give him more and more stuff until, of course, he's going to become a regular on DS9. Um, and that scene at the end when he goes to see 
Maxwell, uh, and they sing that song and stuff. That's really good. I mean, that's really good television right there. Mm-hmm. The, cam- the camera's yeah. kind of dolling around them as they're singing. It's it's it. Maybe it's a bit obvious, but who cares? It's it's incredibly effective. They're both very good. I completely believe them, mm-hmm. and that they have this history together. When I'll bet you they never even met before that day. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, they're they're. It's it's good. It's very good. And we it's usually take yeah. for granted. I think. Yeah. And we usually speak of how, you know, it, it's a problem when there are pivotal moments in episodes that don't involve our main characters. But, of course, we're so used to him as, as being yeah. a main character that, I, you know, I didn't really think about it, you know. Yeah, like how much science science difference does it make watching this episode after DS9, you know? Mm, right, right. Like, did this, did this seem like, did this seem weird in the way you were just referencing, Steve, back when it first aired? I don't remember that. I don't remember. I don't know. I doubt it. Well, it's funny, you know, they, um, well, this is, uh, you know, in this episode, we actually get the first scenes between Keiko and O'Brien. Obviously, in the last episode, you know, there's the whole merit, but they don't really have a scene together. And, um, yeah, they're really good together. I mean, I, yeah. you couldn't yeah, tell you know, the difference between right. them today and, you know, in season seven of DS9, their, their chemistry was really good. You know, how many times do we get to see Keiko and O'Brien sit down and have dinner? Probably, you know, numerous dozens yeah. of times probably and um their chemistry really works and it's kind of where you know you have keiko who's of, of asian descent and um o'brien who is you know scott irish you know and they're very very different um you know where they came from their backgrounds and how they grow up and they demonstrate that in the food right off mm-hmm. the bat like and it works um somehow they have a really good um rapport with each other and you that we, and well in a way there's it's also in a way, by setting up this, here's the difference between our cultures, even though we're both human, just different parts of Earth. You know, we see that difference on their faces, sure, but we're emphasizing that they, you know, she does have an Asian heritage, he does have his heritage, because look at the way we were raised and the different foods that we like. In a way, you know, that, that kind of supports this same, it's just a very subtle way of, of reminding you of these same kind of differences, and in the same kind of way that you know, O'Brien is instinctively prejudiced about these Cardassians that are even more different. But, you know, it's just one more little thing that I don't think you're not conscious of, mm-hmm. but it, it keeps you it keeps you in that in that same ballpark, you know. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point, Adam. I didn't really think about that. I mean, I wonder if they if the previous episode, did they did they give them a scene to play together, even if it wasn't in the episode, just so they could make sure they have chemistry together? Mm. Well, I guess they, they certainly didn't envision that she was going to be, you know, in so many episodes over the course of the next 10 years at that point. They couldn't have imagined that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> oh, we're going to go over. Uh, what's this episode about? Overcoming prejudice. Differences. Well, and I think too that um, it's the, and we've kind of alluded to this already, but it's a, it's it's very subtle, you know, these things. Like it, it's it obviously is very easy to become delusional about, you know, like the captain justified all sorts of atrocities, you know. He he genuinely believed it seemed that there was something surreptitious going on, and maybe there was to an extent, but he didn't take the right steps, but. 
you know, I think the and then we see O'Brien not really believing he's as a, is racist against Cardassians yet he clearly is. I think it's one of those things that it, it's 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 just a it's it's a seed, you know, and then they you you can't um you can justify any kind of behavior and and you know even though it, it is it is it's coming from that racist point they don't think of it that way you know and that's that's the real danger to me that's that's kind of the core of it adam well said um yeah i definitely agree with steve i mean um all those different facets of consciousness and being conscious and unconscious of your hatreds and your and your weaknesses um it, it definitely plays out in this episode and you know you can kind of see that through the character of o'brien um more so than i think any of the other characters because he i think o'brien more than anybody else in this episode um learns something from the you know he grows as a character because of this episode um, you know, more than, you know, the Maxwell or any of the other characters. So, um, I definitely would agree with Steve on that. Watching this episode kind of <laughs> made me want to watch some DS9. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to Six Degrees for the Wounded. I believe Steve has two. Uh, hmm. Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Marco Rodriguez plays Glenn Tell, the Cardassian that was interested in the Enterprise's computer systems, though not for anything spy-like he swears. In Next Gen's first season, he played Captain Paul Rice in the Arsenal of Freedom. What ship does Riker tell Rice that he, Riker, is posted on? I'll give you a um, hint. He says, it's a good ship. Is it the USS Lollipop? You are correct. It was the USS Lollipop. Uh, Steve, mm-hmm. which Trek regular does not appear in this episode? Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it um, Troy? No. Uh, Adam, it's your chance to tie it up for the day. Um... It's either Crusher or Jordy. I'm going to go with Jordy. Nope, should have gone Crusher. <laughs> oh. <laughs> in fact, this is interesting. I didn't know this. Other than all of season two, which obviously she wasn't in at all, this is the only episode she's not in. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay, folks. So um, we are going to have one more episode post this year it's going to be um in two weeks and it's going to be our kind of holiday episode so a holiday episode doesn't necessarily mean it's all christmasy although there will be some of that um it just more like means it's not going to be our normal format of reviews so if you've heard us in that years past you've seen the kind of things we're going to do if you as a listener get this in time you know um uh let's say get it to me by um Friday the 20th, if you want to send an email with some thoughts you want us to read, or if you'd like to send us uh, like an MP3 recording of yourself, keep it, you know, less than 60 seconds. Um, if you've got a fun Star Trek story, doesn't matter if it's Christmassy or not, you know, that you'd like for us to read or to play your thing, or just have any thoughts you'd like to share, go for it. 
uh, we'll, we'll, we'll include them. And if not, that's fine too. Um, tentatively, we we may have a, a short 10 or 15 minute interviews lined up with someone. We're planning to talk about some Trek board games and some Trek video games. And uh, what else do we say? Oh, it's probably going to hear our thoughts on the new Hobbit movie and um, maybe some Trek comics because they've been lately, big lately, and maybe just some general thoughts on some of our favorite movies this year. I don't know. It'll just be a relaxing time, and uh, if any of you, anybody of our listeners have anything they'd like to add or be included, definitely send that in by the 20th. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send those MP3s or emails to trekcompanion at gmail.com. Uh, if you leave a review on iTunes, it's how... Uh, it helps people find us. Somebody just left one recently. Thank you so much. You know, that maybe that's it. We'll, we'll read some of those reviews on that episode, too. That'd be fun. Uh, the iTunes reviews. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We love you all, and we'll catch you in a couple weeks. Until um, next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. Bye. I passed it.